Hello everyone and welcome to the Banner Broadcast, a Banner Pipeline Project initiative where we provide professional development resources for civically engaged leaders in the higher education and nonprofit sectors. In the inside scoop of a civically engaged higher education career series, we will explore what it means to lead a career in this sector and learn from the experiences of six professionals currently working in the field. Today we will listen to our guest speakers talk about different challenges they encounter when navigating the field of civic engagement in the higher education sector and what motivates them to continue. According to Kelly Finn, the Student Development Program Manager of the Sweater Center at Brown University and Banner alum, the two challenges she faces are managing funding and sustainability and conflict resolution. Let's learn how she handles these challenges. There's a few challenges. I think more structurally, funding and sustainability of this type of work. And it's important to me that students who are bringing into community engagement programs, Bonner or anything else. It's an equitable space. And so there's funding available for students. I think that this is about college access. It's about retention. We can't do that if we don't have the funding to back it up. So I think a constant challenge that universities face is like, how do we fund this work? And what does this look like if we move this to 50% of the campus engaged? What does this look like if it's even 30%? And how can we effectively support students just in terms of like the monetary costs of that. I don't know that there's a solution yet other than like fundraising, keeping things moving forward and making good financial decisions. The other big challenge is, I guess I'll call it conflict in this work. We're responsible for holding so many voices at the table that other offices in higher ed are not necessarily responsible for. So we're the people thinking about the community, whereas a lot of other people don't have to be thinking about that, right? We have to be thinking about students. And I find myself in this place all the time where a student's coming to me with a challenge and it might be about the community partner that they're engaging with. And I have to take both of those things. And there's probably some truth in the middle of what they're both saying. And we have to like arrive at a common place. And it's really tricky because you're navigating that layered with power imbalance and the relationship between the university and the community. And so you're always in this like weird space of navigating relationships with people. How do you deal with these challenges? In terms of the conflict, listening skills are critical. I think you just need someone to be really honest with you about your own listening skills. And I've had wonderful friends and colleagues who have like told me, stop talking so much, just listen. I really appreciate their honesty because it helped me grow and I've gotten so much better at it because people have reflected back to me, no, that's not really what I'm saying. You're not really hearing me. And, and that has caused me to step back a little. And so listening is something everyone can practice. Relationship building skills that are required for this type of work are so important. There's a few little tips that mentors have taught me and I've tried to practice them. So like when I'm supervising a new group of students, first day we go out to lunch together. And before we get into any work, we have to build community. And it's simple, but it's like you don't get too busy to skip things like that. My calendar is full, but it's never too full that I can't like pencil in time for human connection. I came into this 
position knowing that now. And I feel much more adjusted in a quick amount of time because I have sort of reached out to people and gotten to know them outside of work, my colleagues and students. And I see them as like full human beings and not just a boner, not just my boss, not just my colleague at work. I think in terms of the financial piece of it, I, I'm still young. I don't have all the answers. If I did, I would offer them to someone. Um, I think there's so much to be learned from the people above us. So I just try to put myself in spaces where I constantly feel like I'm learning and growing from the mentors who are placed around me. So if you're not in that space, find yourself a space. And if you're not learning and growing, I think you have to do some introspection and figure out like, do I need a career shift? Do I need to find a new job? Do I need to just go volunteer five hours a week so I can be in a new community where I can learn new things? Intentionally planting yourself in places where they can sort of show you the way. I think a lot of this work is about collaboration. I don't think there's anyone out there who has all the answers figured out yet, but build really strong centers when we're in community with a lot of different people with a lot of different skill sets and i just encourage people to find that place for yourself coming up we have ariel del rosario project manager at project pericles and banner alum highlighting the importance of creating boundaries this may be a challenge that a lot of bonners face because we care so much the hardest challenge for me is not taking my work home with me. Uh, I care deeply about what happens with my constituents and I care deeply about our programs and achieving excellence in everything that I do. And so sometimes I'll wake up and I've already got three things on my to-do list in my head and I'll be I'll have a day off and I'll be thinking, oh, I've got to do this, this, and this, or let me check in with the student. Uh, let me just see what they're doing and make sure everything's okay. How do you deal with these challenges? And being able to create a boundary between your work and your life balance, or at least being able to, to be flexible in those boundaries, but to honor them is really important. And yes, sometimes to check my email and make sure I haven't missed anything, but if there is something urgent that I realize, okay, that I saw that and that I can respond now. Um, and understand whether or not there is a true emergency or if it's something that I'm doing because I have a strong capacity for empathy. Joshua Rodriguez, a student development program manager of the Suarez Center at Brown University, explains how important it is to navigate rules and regulations within an institution to create positive change. Challenge number one. One of the challenges that I face in this field is that when you're in a university, whether you have gates, physical or not, you are a gatekeeper to change, to access. Even myself, I'm a gatekeeper. I can prevent students from attaining funds or not. Um, it's one of the challenges to this field is that because you work with an institution, you're binded to sort of rules and regulations. So keep in mind that you have to navigate those as best as possible. How do you deal with these challenges? The way you'd be best prepared to handle challenges like this is have your ducks in order. You want to have your research, your reports, your, your proof of why you want to create change or why you want to change something or why you're going against the norm. If I'm trying to get more funding for students in this particular uh, financial need area, I'm going to go ahead and pull together how many students can I not 
enroll in this program because of the where the parameters are and what does that mean for the mission of this university if, it, if we're pursuing experiential learning and this many students are barred off from experiential learning because of the cutoff we need to have a conversation about that right and so you you, you can then do that when you have the research challenge number two Another challenge to this work is that, again, with the gates, is that it is easier for us to step into this community than the community to step here. So to be prepared for that is that it's going to be a fact of life. It's going to be easy for you to step down there and come back to your little, like, privileged hut, uh, is what I would call it, our little dorm. But we could do that, leisure. But what's important is that you reflect and that you address your privilege. You know that the moment you go to that school and that student is telling you that they're having a hard time at home and that their um, parents are fighting or that there's a divorce or that there's physical abuse, you can escape that. As soon as you leave there, you can say, well, my hands are off and it's on the hands of these people. How do you deal with these challenges? How do you sort of challenge that? How do you bring those people to the community? Then? How do you bring them to the resources that you have access to? You know, all within sort of um, boundaries and what's acceptable, right? You don't want to take somebody who's having health issues to your doctor because that's not going to solve anything. What you want to do is say, like, you know, what partnerships can I build? What relationships can I help foster that will help meet the needs of these individuals and empower them so it's self-sustaining so that even if I exclude myself or say goodbye to this relationship, that their relationship between the partner and that community will exist on. Challenge number three. Final challenge I have in this field is the amount of students that come to me saying, work is exhausting. I don't feel like I'm creating change. Tell them, you're here to learn, build awareness, and gain a better perspective of what is social justice. You didn't come here to change the world, although you could, this could be your pathway to start doing that. College is a great place to take your knowledge to the next level and, and, and innovate. But to be realistic, it's not always gonna be the case. How do you deal with these challenges? Use this time and face the challenge. It's hard. But you know what, this is an opportunity for me to grow my knowledge so that way when I leave this place and I get a job here or I can have the time or whatever to do this, I can really make strides. I have the one step forward already or I'm helping to lead and create this change. Next, we have Gretchen Milky, Assistant Dean for Civic Engagement at Weiner University and Banner alum, discussing two challenges and offering her perspective. I think there's been two. So one is personal and one is professional. Uh, two years ago, I had a baby and his name is Leo. He's fantastic. And he was born with Down syndrome. And I think that I had always, you know, civic engagement, we work with this all the time, but it wasn't personal. And I didn't live that personal challenge every day as a special needs mom and deal with the bullism and the frustrations of being a the assumptions that are made. So I think everybody's gonna have that issue that becomes theirs and that it's really personal to them. And I think it's hard to navigate what you thought life was gonna be like versus what life is like. And how do you be an advocate, but also kind of adjust to a new reality and to hard to watch my kid be discriminated against. It's hard to watch some of the challenges healthcare this is like the fourth time in two years which is the entire lifespan of leo that um, they have tried to get rid of uh, healthcare, affordable health care and that's terrifying as a parent but also one with special a child with special needs who spent his first year on oxygen and you know that issue becomes incredibly personal and i saw someone the other day who's running an executive director for a nonprofit that works with down syndrome 
when I looked on her Facebook, I became Facebook friends with her. And it, it occurred to me that she doesn't have any personal stake in it. She doesn't have a child with Down syndrome. Maybe she has a family member with Down syndrome, but that this, this is not her fight. It's not her issue. And that doesn't mean she shouldn't work on the issue. It just means that it's she doesn't have the real experience. And it feels really different when you're dealing with an issue where that issue is yours and that it affects every aspect of your life. How do you deal with these challenges? So I think I would say be empathetic and be aware of the limitations of what is your experience on an issue. And then it's an issue that you're just trying to work at from like an armchair experience. If it's not really your issue, you think you know it, you're passionate about it. But if you don't live it, it's a little bit, it's really different. From a professional perspective, as a challenge from this field, the politics are real. Because we're doing purposeful work that we care about and motivating students doesn't mean that there aren't people above us telling us you can't do something or you can do something or there's no money for this, the budget cuts. And students, like when I first started, my students hated me. Because I came in making all these changes that needed to be made, but weren't popular. So I think we think all the time, like, oh, it's going to be so easy. This is so great. You're just going to mash, and it's just going to go really well. But I think even sometimes when you have the best of intentions, and like you're working really hard for somebody, and you're like really putting everything in it, that doesn't necessarily mean that you get back the, the hope, the reward, the love, the support that you think that you're going to get. And I think as you get higher up, you have less connections with students. You're, get, you're getting further and further away from why we do this. We do this because of our students and the community. But in the assistant dean role, there's a lot of politics. Going to the board and presenting, then can we keep this money? University relations, how do we work on community relations with the community? And I don't think that when I started out as a Bonner or a Bonner coordinator or a Bonner director, that I knew that I would be like playing these politics and fighting for my program or and losing sometimes. Sometimes it's not up to me, and sometimes my students aren't going to like it either. So I think that was an adjustment. I had been in their shoes. I thought I understood, but there's different shoes as a director and assistant dean because you have to do things that you don't like to do. Closing this first section, we have Matthew Bryan Cheney mentioning ways to balance one's personal and professional life. The hardest thing in this field for me has been balancing family responsibilities and being a good dad and husband and son and brother while I do all this. Making sure that you prioritize your time in a way it helps keep the lights on at work and helps everything move in a good direction and that's positive. Don't allow that to get in the way of what's really important in your life. How do you deal with these challenges? I, I find myself having to be super disciplined about my emotional health. If I'm taking care of myself physically, am I getting out and going for a walk? You know, one thing that helps me is mindfulness meditation. Uh, just be prepared for if you want to be a balanced and happy person uh, while also being a professional, because this is a difficult field. Like I, there are a lot of jobs I could have done that would not be this difficult. And it takes a lot of not just mental energy, but emotional energy. It takes a lot of emotional energy to sit with a community partner and hear their concerns about something that's going on with one of your students. It takes a lot of emotional energy to say no to a student that really wants to do something and you know that it's just not a good time. Um, so I think a lot of times we think about time management. And you're like, okay, you know, if you just have a, if you're like really good at managing your calendar, everything's going to be okay. And that's just not true because your calendar it is not your emotional makeup. 
In our second section of today's episode, our guest speakers will share what motivates them to continue in this field. First in this section, we have Dr. Wilbur Whitney, Director of the Bonner Office of Community Service at Morehouse College, sharing with us how students motivate him to continue this work. When I came back to Morehouse, and they said, oh, man, you get to mentor and teach. You know, I have two daughters and now these sons, so now I have, like, Bonner have, like, 60 sons. I'm not sure they look at me like their grandfather. In fact, I was here last summer in my office working, and students came in and, hey, Doc. I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, we're just checking on you. And at, at first, I was going, like, well, I'm busy. They said, well, no, it's nice that people really care about you and are checking us out. And I sit down and we talk about an hour about what's going on with them. You know, that's really rewarding to know that young folks can, can relate and you can talk to and you can give them advice. And they're, and they're, and I have a couple of guys that just come, they come in here every week. They just come in here and just sit and we just talk and they just, they ask all kinds of things. It's funny. You know, they ask about relationships. They ask about, you know, they ask about how to buy a car. They ask about <laughs> what should I do? Where seeing when they graduate and seeing what they do. And, uh, and whenever I'm a, in a part of a country, I always, I always try to have lunch with an alumni. Next, Ariel de Rosario describes how her passion to address social issues and to motivate others to become the driving force inspired her to continue her journey. What motivates me to come and be in this field every day is knowing that there's always new problems for students in higher education to solve. Whether it's the increasing student debt issue, or if it's free speech on campuses, as well as issues that affect, that are just local in the community, or issues that are national and international that affect students because they live in society. If we ever got to a point where all these issues and systematic injustices were solved, I wouldn't have a job and that'd be great. <laughs> but as long as those issues continue, we're going to have to support students, faculty, staff, presidents, and provosts to figure out how do we prioritize civic engagement and have students have the skills, the knowledge, the attitude to be able to tackle those problems. Following up, we have Joshua Rodriguez discussing how the community motivates him. So one is potentially getting a better job within this field, right? It motivates me because I have so many ideas on, on what will help create a culture of civic and community engagement and for the higher ed institution, whether it be here or anywhere. But what also motivates me is the, the real lives and the real people in the community experiencing what we deem as social issues. And what motivates me are the lives of those people who are facing injustices, are facing homelessness, or are facing whatever the, the issue be. Um, that motivates me because that says to me, every student that I come across here at the university can be a potential being who can bring forward the new change that might address that issue, the new legislative ideas or bills that might create a change for that issue or those lives in the community. And the very fact that some of those lives could find their way here. They could be the students I'm working with, right? So that's what motivates me. Moreover, we have Gretchen Milky sharing how seeing the world a better place and young people making an impact motivate her. I think that I'm motivated by what I still think is left to do, the impact that I want to continue to make. 
students impact and maybe they aren't going to thank me today but they'll will hopefully come to realize the impact that we made in four years or in 10 years work that we need to do in our communities i'm still pretty surprised in the politics like <clears throat> i hated politics as a kid i didn't i was like oh they just fight all the time i don't want to be involved it's like corruption and dirty money but i think that uh, millennials need to vote they absolutely need to vote and it's hard to see what I just thought was like niceness. How do you be nice to each other? How do you be a neighbor? How do you be kind? How do you communicate with one another? But like I took for granted as a kid and it's not there anymore. And that's hard. So I'm hoping that our next generation can learn that this work is important and that it's even so important to vote, even if it doesn't feel nice. This is the first election year that millennials will outnumber the boomers ever. So if every young person voted, they would decide the politics. And I just want that so much. <laughs> so I, I'd love to see the world be a better place. And, it, and I think there's still a lot more to do. And that motivates me. Finally, to close this section and episode, we have Matthew Bryan Cheney sharing what and who inspires him to continue in this field. Think about those who came before you and the dreams that they had and how hard and how long people worked in our society to make things better and the sacrifices that they made. Especially right now when there's so much going on in our country that is so messed up and so difficult and so tragic. And you're just sitting somewhere and you don't feel like you can do anything about it. I think about someone like Martin Luther King Jr. who was not a perfect person and really made some mistakes in his life, but his house bombed for what he believed in and was killed. Um, I think about, uh, there's a woman in our region named Marie Cirillo, who is a Catholic nun. She moved to East Tennessee from Brooklyn. She lives in Egan, Tennessee, which is where Mrs. Bonner was from. And has been in this region for 50 years, just basically living a life of voluntary poverty, building relationships with people, trying to help people get jobs, trying to keep people off of drugs, um, just trying to be like a positive presence. And I have a bad day and I'll feel a little hopeless, but then I think about these people who came before me and the work that they have done. And it gives me hope because I just think, well, someday maybe somebody will be sitting here thinking about the impact that I had and that'll help them, you know? And so you kind of pass that on from generation to generation. That gives me hope. My family gives me a lot of hope. My wife, she really just gives me a lot of strength. And our daughter, who had an easy life and who is just so resilient and so funny and so great. There's nothing I could say that's not like cliche, like, oh, I heard that a thousand times. But it's really true. You want, like, you want to make a better world of people who come after you. And that's not going to be easy. What gives me hope is that there are people who came before me that did that for me um, and did that for my students and did that for everybody. I think, I think about the Bonners, honestly. I think about them a lot, who invested their entire fortune in this whole program. If Mrs. Bonner from Egan, Tennessee doesn't convince her very wealthy husband to give his money to this program, um, none of us are here doing this. So I, I, I think about stories a lot and I, and I, I get a lot of, I get a lot of hope from that. Thank you so much to our guest speakers for sharing their insights and advice. Thank you so much everyone for listening and learning with us today. This concludes the fifth episode of the Inside Scoop of a civically engaged higher education career. Wondering where to find more videos? Find us on YouTube as Banner Network. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a thumbs up.
We're also on the Bonner website at www.bonner.org. Bonner.